So what is a man? What is a man? How would the world determine what is a man? Let me just, it's rhetorical, but <laughs> I, I saw hands starting to go up. But no, I mean, the, the, the culture we live in, there's lots of things that they set up as, as markers that indicate some sort of manhood, like 16 and you get your driver's license, or 21 and you're old enough to drink, or perhaps you graduate from high school or college or trade school and you go get a job, a real job, your career job would be an element the world would say, well, now you're a man, you're independent. Some would say you're a man once you get married and have kids. So there's these worldly markers that, that they use to evaluate what a real man is. And uh, does that indicate what a real man is? No. The ladies all said no. I like that. No, that's really not uh, a determinate factor. And we'll, and we'll look at some things here. Um, about this, but look here for a second at this verse, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom instruction, wisdom's instruction. And, and what I want you to know, brothers and sisters, is no one just becomes a man based on age or a job or independence. He has to be trained to become a man. They're not, they're, they're not born, they're made into men. They have to be discipled into men, raised up into men, taught to be men. They need to be guided. And of course, the, the discipleship tool for real manhood is what? The Word of God. The Word of God. He is the creator of men and women, and he is the one who has designed men to be a certain way and women to be a certain way. And in that, the Bible teaches how a man is to be a real man of God. So it's the Word of God. In fact, if you look at this verse, what's really happened in our culture, if you throw off restraint, in other words, if, if boys, little boys aren't raised to be men of God, if they're not taught how to be real men of God, what happens is they become big boys. Not men, but big boys without restraint, so they become big bad boys. I mean, just so you know, I'm sure you know the statistic, that... 80% of the most severe crimes are committed by men. 80%. 70% of murders are, are, are done by men. It's eight times more likely for a man to be incarcerated than a woman. I want you to see that our culture is full of bad boys. And the reason is, is because no one has trained them and instructed them in how to be men of God. So they try to find their way and prove themselves through gangs and all kinds of other things. They, they're, they're desiring to, 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 to enter into manhood, whatever it looks like. So they're getting into all different ways of trying to prove themselves to be men. Amen? Amen. So the reality is historically, just a little historical context, at one time in this country, really this, this training of a man came from community. The schools were, played a significant role in helping a boy become a man. See, the schools clearly could see the differences between boys and girls in the school, and they would provide opportunities for boys to, to have other outlets that the girls didn't have to develop their manhood. The, the, the schools knew that, and they, 
Even when I was a child, you know, they would meet with my mom and dad and they would talk about the things I'm struggling with and they were helping me kind of work my way through this challenging of growing in to be a man. Your neighbors would be involved. Some of us are older that our neighbors were allowed to discipline us, right? Right, you know, and my dad would say, if if one of the neighbors discipline you when you come home, I'm going to discipline you again. So just so you don't, don't mess up around the neighbors, come home and mess up, then you only get beaten once. But, so, but the neighbors would all participate, and they would see things, and they would talk to one another, and they would help the boys grow into men. And the third thing that used to happen is the church. The church clearly saw the difference between the roles of men and women, and they would instruct the men and women on how to grow to become men. Now, what's happened now? Are the schools still helping out in this issue? Good. I get passionate. The, the schools are saying there is no difference between men and women, right? They're, they're eliminating the distinction. They're trying. This is all the work of Satan, by the way. He's trying to eliminate. This, this took place in the Garden of Eden and has continued throughout mankind's history. He's trying to eliminate this line between men and women. The schools are attacking manhood. Community, the community doesn't want to get involved with anybody else's children because they're they're fearful for what might happen, lawsuits and you know all the rest of it. So community doesn't get involved anymore. And and the reality, the church has been feminized. The church no longer builds up men to be men and women to be women. They they rather blend in and just uh, just adopt to the culture. I'm probably going to get arrested after this sermon, but <laughs> but that's what's going on in our culture. Those things aren't happening anymore. And of course, the family itself, the family, you have to picture this. Of course, this is before the Industrial Revolution. The family was the place where the dad would take the son and train and instruct him in, in the way to go. He would Typically, the sons would follow the dad's footsteps in whatever vocation they were. If your dad was a farmer, you became a farmer. If you were a blacksmith, your dad was a blacksmith, you'd become a blacksmith, and so on. But the, the dad invested a great deal of time and energy into their sons. So you had the community. You had your neighbors, you had, you had the church, and then you had this father role that used to exist within the family. And this all began to change in the Industrial Revolution, and, and we're right now in the midst of the worst it's ever been. So, we're going to get fixed today, all of us. <laughs> we're going to get this down and get this right. Now, let me just show you this verse here. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You see that? And what this tells us is there's a process from going to be a child, a little boy, into growing into be a real man of God. There's this process. But there's also what you see here is this choice. I gave up childish ways. There's a walking away from childish ways. So, so all boys will become men when they decide they're done with the childish ways and they're ready to embrace manhood. Are you with me on this? Now, we can start off as small boys. I don't think anybody here, well, there might be some people here, some young ones, that still play in a sandbox. But most of us don't play in sandboxes anymore. We grow out of these phases of childhood towards manhood. And, but there's other things that many of us still might do. T- to, to be drunk is childish. 
To get high on pot is childish. To look at women lustfully is childish. To lose your temper is childish. To be jealous and coveting is childish. There's a higher level of things that grown boys still do that they need to walk away from. And that's the difference between a big bad boy and a real man of God. One that walks away from those childish ways. This verse will be kind of the focus verse for this next one. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. And, and, and I, by the way, I've got, if you, anybody wants to go deeper, I've got lots of books I can recommend to you. One of them that I'm based on some of this teaching out of is Robert Lewis's book, Raising a Modern Day Knight. It's a very simple book for, for uh, the, the concepts of manhood. And I've got other ones. If you want to go deeper, I can give you some other references, some books. But just wanted to rec- uh, mention Robert Lewis because some of this is from his book. So this, this issue of, of be watchful, it, it says, here, here's what we're going to be talking about today, one of the key features. Reject passivity. Man, you cannot be passive. One of the great challenges of manhood is men are passive. Most men are in the back seat of the car. They're not leading. But passivity means we reject passivity. It means we get up each day and we're watchful. We're ready to engage. We're ready for action. For the kingdom of God. For our family. For our neighborhood. For our church. For our schools. We're ready to go. Be watchful. The next one is our life is built on this next truth is stand firm in the faith. All of our life is built on the faith of God. We're we're men of the word. We're men of prayer. A real man is serious about the word of God. He's serious about living according to the word of God. So avoid passivity. Uh, Be be a serious man of the the word of God. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. This is that, that process of turning away from that other verse of these childish, you know, I'm done with this. I'm done with these activities. I'm done with inappropriate joking and, and, and harsh language. I'm, I'm done with all of these things. Amen. Act like a man. Amen. That's right. And it says be strong. Another aspect of true manhood is courageous. We must be courageous. Men aren't courageous anymore. They're timid. They've been beaten into the corner of the room and, they, and they're sitting there. You need to be courageous. And I'm talking about for, for helping the weak and downtrodden. I'm talking about widows and orphans. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about speaking up against people that are sinning and doing inappropriate things. I'm talking about defending women in general and becoming a gentleman to women instead of a lustful child towards women. These are your sisters. These are targets. Amen. Were you hoping for a light Father's Day sermon today? No. So, so avoid passivity. Uh, seek the greater reward, which means meet a man of the word of God. Act like men. Be courageous. And what I want to do this morning is I want to walk you through two men. We're going to talk about the one that did it wrong, the man that lived like the world, and the one that did it perfectly right. And who are these two men? The first and second Adam. The Adam of the earth and the Adam of heaven. 
because that's what that that's the comparison of a man of the world that remained a boy and one that was a true man. So, and here's what I want to use as our kind of our stepper, which we see in Scripture. Three things. I think I've got it in your bulletin, which is a will to obey. Is that in your bulletin? Yes. Okay, will to obey, a work to do, and what's the third one? Woman to love. And those were the three callings on Adam's life, the first Adam and the second Adam's life. Both those same calls were put onto both of them as, as a call to manhood. A will to obey, a work to do, and a woman to love. And, and here's the verse. The, the first Adam was of the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. That's the first and second Adam. So let's walk through this. Let's look at a will to obey first. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. We don't like to talk about that part. But you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So this, this, this issue that man was called to a will to obey is, first of all, I want you to see that, that we just sang, Good, Good Father. God the Father gave him this unbelievable garden full of countless trees filled with fruit and vegetables and nuts and everything else. And he goes, enjoy the abundant life. Go eat from any tree you want to. Enjoy this perfect climate and this perfect world. It's abundant life. I love you. Go enjoy it. He says, but I got to give you a will to obey. I got to make sure you come under the authority of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. So there's this one tree in the garden, this one tree out of all these trees, you're not to eat of that tree. One tree. One tree. And see, he, he didn't want to make robots, so he gave us the will to obey. It's called free will. We can choose to eat of that tree or not to eat of that tree. And he goes, this is a test. This is a test. Will you obey me? Will you follow me? Will you submit? Do you see how wonderful I created you and I gave you this abundant life? And I just want to see if you will follow me all the days of your life. It's a will to obey. And that's true for us, brothers and sisters. We have a will to obey. We have free will. Every day we know we have choices to make, and God is testing us as well. Do you love me? Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And I will love them. My Father will love them, and we will come dwell within him. It's a test. So will to obey. You want to be a man? There's this test of a will to obey, and that's what he gave to Adam. So will you obey me? The second one was a work to do. The Lord took, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. A work to do. See, one of the lies Satan has filled our hearts with, you know we teach this in Design for Work, but it's this issue that work itself is a curse. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Work itself is not a curse, right? Because work was created by God Adam is given a work to do before the fall. So work can't be cursed. And God is always at work amongst us. So work itself is not a curse. But what happened? The curse was work became more difficult, right? Sweat on the brow. Is anybody with me on the curse here? See a lot of blank. So the, 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 the work itself became more difficult. Here's the main reason work is so difficult now. Because we're sinners and we work with other sinners. That makes work difficult, does it not? 
And, and of course, weeds and thistles and all the rest that God talks about in the curse. But so, so work is not itself a curse. In fact, we're all designed to work. And work is one of the main callings of God on manhood. We are to be workers. And I can tell you so many men who went on to welfare or disability at, at a younger age, and they sat around their houses watching TV, smoking pot, and eating Doritos. Their life was miserable. They themselves were miserable. Why were they miserable? Because we are called, one of the callings of manhood is a work to do. And don't get me wrong, some people are, are, are legitimately disabled, but then you should be volunteering eight hours a day, doing something. You have to be at work that's a part of your purpose. You will never be a real man if you're not somehow working. So, a will to obey. Will you be a man of God and submit to authority? Second thing is a work to do. And by the way, I, I like to quote our statistics, is that through design for a work, that work program, the work program through this church started before the church did. The work program started in 2006. This church didn't start till 2008. But through the work program, we've seen that the, the typical statistics of a man graduating from Wayside, and this goes for all ministries of like nature, whether they're secular or Christian, the success rate, when I mean success rate, those that graduate and go on to live productive lives, they don't fall back into their slavery. Are you with me on this? Yes. Is typically 8%. Yes. That's less than 1 out of 10 that typically fall back into those old lifestyles. But through design for work, the percentage goes up to 7 out of 10 go on to live productive lives. Why is that? Because design for work is the ministry that's designed to help men what they were... See, everyone, every person is designed for a work. They've been given trade skills or talking skills or uh, administration skills. Or, God gives everybody natural gifting, whether you're a believer or not. And the job of design for work is to get you into the work you were designed to do. And guess what happens? You're, you're, now you have purpose in life. You're filled with joy and you, and you go to work. Does that mean work every day is a great day? No, it's not a great day. It's still going to be hard. But at the same time, there's purpose in your life. And that's why it goes from less than one out of 10 to seven out of 10. We were designed for work. A will to obey, to come under the word of God if you want to be a real man. The second one is a work to do. It's good to have Steamer back in the house. I get my amens like crazy up here. I just... <laughs> He can never leave that spot up there. And third, third thing is a woman to love. A woman to love. Then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. And all the men said, amen. amen. I will make him a helper fit for him. Helper, this word paraclete in the Greek is the same word that we see for Holy Spirit. It's someone that comes alongside of a man. To, so the two become one, and they walk together in life, and she helps him fulfill his purpose, and, and he encourages and loves her. And, and there's, Tyler's already preached this, but remind you, this is not a difference of value. This is a difference in responsibility, right? Amen? Amen. So don't ever believe the lie of Satan that we're talking about value or superiority. They're both co-heirs for Christ. For some reason, God designed it that, that the man desperately needs a woman. Most men, not all men, but many men do, I would say most, need a woman to come alongside to help them become the man of God they're supposed to be. I, 
I can honestly confess, I don't know where I would be or what I would be apart from Mary's help in my life. It's that simple. I'm not good alone. I don't do well alone. I eat too many pizzas. (laughs) And other things, not just pizzas. But so the the point is, is that he, he designed it that way and he gave us this woman to love and, and men on, on average have 50% more muscle mass than women, unless you're a Russian steroid-driven shock putter. But most men have 50% more muscle than, than women. And he's designed it that men are to protect women and to care for women. And to be a gentleman, to open doors. Oh, don't open a door today. Just to, just to be a good gentleman before women. Not a lustful boy but a real man that's a gentleman that cares for women and watches out for women and protects women. So that's the call of manhood, those three things. Pretty simple. And then look what he gave them when they followed this. It says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Sounds like a pretty good life to me. Truly an abundant life. So what happened? We all know what happened. They lived happily ever after. No? All right. Here it is. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, which tree? The tree of evil and and knowledge. That it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So what happened there? Every calling of his manhood, he failed. All three, a will to obey. I gave you one command not to eat of this one tree. You could eat of all the other trees. That was my challenge to you, my test of you. Will you obey me? Will you submit to my authority? I'm the creator and sustainer of all life. He failed. A work to do. They were in charge of the garden. They had authority over all creatures. What should have been done as the caretaker of the garden? As a work to do. God, I don't like snakes. Cut off its head. Or at least kick it out of the garden. You don't want to be, no, there was no death yet, but at least kick the snake out of the garden. He had the authority to tell the, the snake to hit the road. Because he was, he was in charge of all creatures. He could have told the snake to leave. And the third thing, did he protect, was it a woman to love? Did he do a good job there? No, he got in the back seat. He got in the back seat. He sat and let this serpent talk to his wife. That's not a man. You don't talk to my wife. You talk to me. I'm right here. That's what a man does. But he let this snake deceive her, and he sat there and watched this happen. He failed in all three accounts. That was the first Adam. How did the second Adam do? <laughs> the second Adam knocked it out of the park, just like Todd's going to do on Monday. He's, he knocked it out of the park. He, he, he had a will to obey. And l- which was more challenging? You can't eat from one tree. You can never sin. Here it is. A will to obey. You have to leave the throne of glory with the Father 
go down to this earth filled of our enemies, become man, live a sinless life, then when you're about 30, you're going to go into full-time ministry, you're going to go out and find 12 apostles, and by the way, they're not going to be well-educated, they're going to mostly be fishermen and trades guys, and you're going to have to train them up in the way to go, and then when you get all that done, you're going to have to go to the cross and bear the sins of the world, and die, and suffer and die. That's your will to obey. How do you do? Perfect. 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 In fact, he says, when he's praying in the garden, let me find that verse here for a second. He's praying in the garden, and he said, Even this, let me just share this one. This is where he was. He says, uh, he said, I have a father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but not uh, my, my will be done, but your will be done. Even when he faced the cross, he had that prayer. So, so he was perfect in every way. He fully completed the work. He did everything that God had asked him all the way through the cross. How did he do with the work to do? Will to obey, completely obeyed God. But how about the work? He completed everything that he was given to do as well. When he got to the cross... He said, it is finished. I did every piece of the work you told me to do. And how about a woman to love? How do you do there? Who's his woman to love? The church. The church is his woman to love. And some of you, if you're single men, that is your woman to love. Your woman to love is the church. Until, if, until God brings a woman into your life, our women, the single women and single men, we love the church. We serve God, right? I'm not talking about nuns and priests here. I'm just talking about those that are single for now should be loving the church and serving the church. But how did he do? He loved the woman perfectly. What, what does Hebrews 5 tell us? Anybody? You men should know this verse. No? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. His perfect love was demonstrated on the cross. That's how much he loved the woman that God gave him to love, which is us, the body of believers. He loved us so much, the church is not a building, it's a body of believers. That's what our church is. Don't get those confused that he, he went to the cross and died for us. So in every area where the first Adam failed, Jesus was, as, as Steamer said, perfect in obedience, perfect in the work, perfect in the love for the church. So let's talk about these four uh, commands that we found in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Uh, be watchful, stand firm in your faith, uh, act like men, and be strong. And I'm going to break these into four, four challenges for us. This is application time. A real man rejects passivity. Are you ready for this? Everybody still with me? So a real man rejects passivity. Let's dig into this a little bit. I mean, Adam, we see here, uh, failed miserably in taking action. He was very passive. And this, this call to reject passivity, again, is not just to be aggressive, domineering, bossy men. That's not what this means. This means that we... We engage in the activities around us as God leads. To, to engage in the activities. We don't sit on our hands and walk around with our heads down, 
kind of ignoring life around us, hoping that no one will engage us in this fallen world. Are you with me on this? That's not what a real man does. And, and we're called to take action, action to protect. Uh, Adam was too, to, to rebuke the serpent or to rebuke evil, uh, uh, resist the devil and he will flee, and, and to engage in all those other activities that God presents to us as we walk through life. It's a life to choose action. Now let me just tell you something here. Why is that so hard for men? Why are men so passive? What's that? Started with the women. Started. Okay, good, good, Anne. She got to you got to a very important truth. She said part of it's the women's fault. I like that because we like blaming others, don't we, men? The, the 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 point of passivity is that our natural default is to be passive. Now it's part of our curse. Men will naturally be passive because of the curse. So here it is. We're more comfortable being passive than we are to be active. You okay with that? We all know it. It's a reality. It could come from the curse. We, we feel more comfortable being passive. You know, we just don't want to get involved. And then what Ann said is true. What makes it even harder is that the women encourage us to be passive. Now, this is in their own natural state as well. This is from the curse. So here's the deal. We want to get in the back seat. And our wives will encourage us to go ahead. Get one, get back there. I got it. Right? Now this this is now listen to me, this is not the supernatural life that we're called to. This is part of the curse. This is the challenge of the men and women, is that if we just go to default, this is what will happen. So we have to we have to actively make sure we're choosing the right things so that we will lead, we will avoid passivity, and we will stay in the front seat. And guys, listen to this. You, you got to get ready to, to, to fail. You got to get ready for your wife to encourage you to get in the back seat. But don't be a little boy about it. Stand tall and keep getting in the driver's seat. Amen. Just keep getting in there. You're going to, I could want to. It's not going to feel good. It's going to be uncomfortable. You got to keep getting in the front seat, the driver's seat. We have to avoid passivity. I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest battles. Of a marriage. Because when I'm tired or I've been beaten up, I don't want to drive. I want a pillow and I want to go lay in the back seat. Mary, you drive for a while. When Mary's tired and weak, she wants me in the back seat. It's a battle. But the reality is, as you look around our culture, what we see is men are passive in their marriage, they're passive with their children, they're passive in the church, and they're passive in the workplace. Every area of life, men are passive. They're just not acting like men. They want their women to take care of them. They want to stay home and let their women work. So first is... A real man rejects passivity. Secondly, a real man accepts responsibility. A real man accepts responsibility. Amen. See, worldly men, the first Adam, he wants to justify, blame, shift, and minimize his own choices. 
actually his own responsibilities. He doesn't want to acknowledge them. He, he puts, hey, the woman you gave me made me do this. Right? They doesn't want to take responsibility. What does it mean to take responsibility? It's ownership. It's I'm responsible for this. This is my, here it is, will to obey. I, I'm taking responsibility for the man of God I become. I'm not going to blame any, oh, I don't go to a good church or, you know, I, you know, I just, I don't have time. I'm too busy right now. No. I, I you and I need to take responsibility. I am going to own my faith. I'm going to own my discipline. I'm going to own what I become for God. It's up to me. Nobody else but me. What I do, how I pray, what I read, how I live this life, it's up to me the will to obey, that kind of, how I'm going to live that out. I'm not going to put anybody else. I'm not going to make excuses. So, so a man has to assume responsibility. So I own my faith. I own my job. I own the work to do. That's up to me. See, I'm not going to go into my workplace and be like the rest of the lost souls that work there. Right, Carrie? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go there to be different, to be encouraging. Not all the time, Carrie will confess. I get crabby too, but to, to be a bright light, to listen to people, to encourage people to become all that they can become in Christ. I'm not going to sit around and grumble and complain and get into the, the inappropriate jokes and all the rest of it. In fact, when I, when I walk into cer- certain places, people are quiet probably because they're saying things they know I don't want to hear and won't put up with. But see, to assume responsibilities in the workplace is that we need to be different in the workplace. I praise God, I'll just point, Carrie just started leading an unsaved lady in her office through Thrasher's book. That's making a difference in the office. This, this girl does not know Christ. We need to be different. We need to be responsible for our own actions as a work to do. And the third thing is a woman to love. I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'm not going to blame Mary for not being the wife she needs to be or the mother she needs to be or the grandmother she needs to be. I'm going to take responsibility for being the husband I'm going to be regardless. By the way, she's a very good mother, grandmother. I'm just using her as illustration. But my point is I'm going to take responsibility for that. To love her and care for her and wash her with the word and lead her and protect her and provide for her. I'm not going to put it on her. I'm going to take it, put it on my shoulders. That's what it means to take responsibility. So, so real men avoid passivity. They're, they're watchful. They're ready to get engaged. And they assume responsibility. They own their life. They own, they own what's going on. And they take action in it. You good with that? What's the third one? A real man leads courageously. Leads courageously. And I'll just go back to Tyler, Pastor Tyler's verse from last time. It's what I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Is that Here it is. We were designed to lead. It's just the way God did it. Again, it's not value. It's responsibilities. But we need to lead courageously. Now, let me tell you what the problem I see with men when they hear this, is they don't know how to lead. And how are we supposed to lead? We lead like Christ. We lead like Christ. I see men when they get this truth, you know, we used to do this in seminars, and they'd get this truth, and they would go over, I'm in charge here. That's not the, that's not the call, guys. That's not what God's saying. You lead courageously, but you lead as a servant leader, 
a servant leader. We don't lead with power and dominance and abuse. We lead with love. We lead with love and care and nurture and protection and guidance and wisdom. Now, let me just say that, you know, and, I, and we do that in all areas of our life. Uh, we, we lead that way in the marketplace. We lead that way in the home. We lead that way in the church. We, we lead with love and care and compassion and kindness and, and, and all those things. Now, don't misunderstand me, guys. Then they, some guys go to the other way and they become doormats. I'm not talking about that either. There's sometimes we've got to stand up and, uh, under difficult situations and take a stance, whether it's in the workplace, at home, wherever. There's still a strength there, but we're not domineering. It isn't some sort of authoritative relationship in any of these areas. But we are peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Are you with me on this one? Peacekeepers like to keep the lids on the pots and everybody just getting along. No, people need to be confronted sometimes. I'm going to be a peacemaker. Listen, I see sin in your life. I want to talk to you about it. I love you. I'm going to take the log out of my eye, and we're going to sit down and talk about the speck I see in your eye we got to talk about this. I'm not going to pretend like nothing's going on in everybody's lives and everybody's just doing wonderful. Mm-hmm. you got to be confronting. That's what, a, that's what a leader does. That's what a real man of God does. And lastly, you're doing great, all of you. A real man seeks the greater reward. That's the fourth thing. The real man seeks the greater reward. What does that mean? That, that's that part of building your life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Stand firm in your faith. It's a, it's a man that builds his life on the word of God and the ways of God because he's seeking the greater reward. Are you with me on this? Not the rewards of the world. Adam, the first Adam fell because he wanted the ways of the world. Eat of this and you'll be like God. You'll have a better life. You'll be like God. You don't need to be under him anymore. There's no will to obey. There's no work to do. There's no woman. Just come on over here and do it the world's way. But a real man of God says, no, I'm going to seek the greater reward. I'm going to set my heart and minds on things above, not on things of the earth. I'm going to be all about the kingdom of God first and foremost. Yes, I'm going to work each day as unto the Lord. All those things are important. But the primary driving force of a real man's life is the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. And we get off track sometimes. We get deceived. I do as well. I, I confess. But I reset. I've got to reset every day. No, my, my, I've got to set my heart and mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And it says here, what, what is it? You know, so, so here's someone that has set their heart and mind on the things of the world, Right? And, and they worked their whole life, and they, they get a big house. They became a famous athlete, the famous actor. They, be, they became a great businessman, whatever, doctor, lawyer, whatever it is. They, and they, they got nice cars and watches and all kinds of stuff going on. And, and, but what happened? He lost his soul. And let's say that person was even saved somewhere. He, all, what does all those things add up to at the end when you get before the judgment seat of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. So is this where you want to spend your life? Or, or do, you, do you want to be, you want to seek the greater rewards every day for the kingdom of God? 
And see, one of the one of the deceptions. Be a few more minutes, but um, stay with me. One of the deceptions is is that just like in the Garden of Eden, Satan says, "Eat of this fruit, and you will be like God." Right? One of the deceptions that the world holds over men, especially, is identity. It's identity. See, because I want you to hear this. What were we? What was our jobs before the fall? We were what? No, 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 before the fall. We were rulers of the world. That's what your business card used to say. All the fish submitted to you, all the birds in the air submitted to you, every animal on earth submitted to you. We were rulers of the world. So my point is, is God has designed us for significance. That's okay. We're supposed to, to, to be significant in the kingdom of God. So reconciliation, when Jesus came back and reconciled us, he, he gave us our new identity so that we could once again be significant. Because before Christ came, what were we all? Are you sleeping today? What? What were we? We were not significant. Yes, we were not significant. Amen. The steamer. We were enemies of God. We were, we were. We had no significance whatsoever. Right? We were enemies of God. But Christ came for reconciliation, and one of the things He did is He reconciled us to God and gave us a new position of significance. What are we now? Come on, we go over this a lot. What's our identity now? Thank you, Robin. Here's a list for you. We're children of God, our perfect father. We are adopted in the family of God. And you could just stop there. If I'm just a child of God, I'm good, significant-wise. I feel pretty good about that. I've been adopted into the family of families. All this queen and king stuff going on. We're, we were adopted into the king's family. Amen. And then he goes, you know, but I want to give you a work back. You're not going to be rulers of this world because Satan's got your job. You lost the job because you failed me. You didn't, you didn't will to obey. You didn't work the work. And you didn't love the woman you're supposed to. So he's in charge. He's the prince of this world. But until I return, I'm going to make you ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You're my ambassadors. You're ministers of reconciliation. You're part of the holy priesthood. That's your significance now. So when you go out every day, every one of you, men and women, we are now his ambassadors. We are the ministers of reconciliation. We're part of the holy priesthood, and we're to be reconciling a lost world back to the king of kings. We're supposed to help him adopt more children in the family. And I only share this with you is because to seek the greater reward, you have to put on the right identity. You're all getting tired? You have to put on the right identity. So, so our significance comes no matter what we do, if we're janitors, factory workers, lawyers, doctors, it doesn't really matter. The significance no longer comes from the world's title of us. That doesn't matter. Because if I'm a janitor, I'm, an, I'm a janitor for Jesus Christ. I'm his ambassador. He wants me doing that. He wants me to be a bright light as a janitor. If I'm a doctor, he wants me to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ and to be a bright light as a doctor. And everywhere in between those jobs, right? And that's where the significance comes. That's where... We're seeking the greater reward in whatever we do. And that's what empowers us to live this life that God's called us to. And then we could also look at this. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. So we have that going on now in this world, but we have greater things coming that we can't even, what that verse is telling us is that we can't even comprehend what's coming in the new heaven and the new earth. Amen. Amen. 
Yes. Okay, let me just close with a list. It's in your bulletin. We'll go through this briefly. These are some more. I could give you a lot more than this, but I, I'm giving you this as a minimum list of what is a real man, kind of a list of attributes of a real man of God. It's in your bulletin, so I gave you the verse rec- references too. You can look up these verses yourself. I encourage you to do that. But the first one is what? Loyalty. So the first call of a real man is we are loyal to the king of kings above all else. We are loyal to the king of kings above all else. If I have to choose between being loyal to God or loyal to my family, I'm going to pick God first. I've already done that. You have, I, I will... I will always choose God over anybody else, including my bride. But she's never challenged me there. Again, defending her. But you have to set your heart and minds on being loyal to God and the kingdom. And why I say that is, men, you're going to be in situations where you're going to be tempted to be passive and not assume responsibility. You're going to be with lost people doing things you don't agree with. And, and at that point, you've got to stand up for your king. You've got to stand up for your king. Even though it's going to cost you, believe me, it's cost me many relationships and being excluded from things and not wanting to be around me, and I could care less because I've been loyal to my king. I'm not going to listen to inappropriate jokes. I'm not going to watch a man mistreat a woman. I'm not going to do a lot of things. I'm going to stand up for my king. So that's number one. Number two is service, servant leadership. Don't get this leadership thing messed up, guys. The, the call of being a great leader is to become a great servant. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 20, 26. The greatest of you will be the greatest servant. Start, here's, the, here's the problem. is We're so selfish and self-absorbed that we don't serve others as we should. Are you with me? Amen. Make it an effort to serve others. Here's another rule, 80-20. You know the 80-20 rule? When you're talking with someone, let them talk 80% of the time and you talk 20% of the time. That's a servant. Life's not about us. We can put ourselves on the back burner and encourage someone by letting them talk 80% of the time and we'll listen. So servant leadership and always. Kindness. And I teach some of these to lost people that I work with. Kindness doesn't cost, cost us anything. Right? Does kindness cost you anything? No, it's a choice. Just to be kind to people. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Just be kind. Humility. That's a big challenge for men in this time. And here's why it's a challenge. Is that so many men are still boys that they're trying to prove that they're men. And in that they become prideful and boastful and arrogant. And so they're trying. I'm a man. Let me prove to you I'm a man. But a real man can be humble. He can see people as better than themselves. So the bit, you know, that's a challenge for men. Is, is they're very boastful. They they uh, are very prideful. The next one is purity, and I, I talked about this already, but I'll say it again. Stop, you know, you, you got to choose to be a man and not a boy. Stop looking at women for sexual things and lusting after them, and start looking at them as children of God. Stop it. Get over it. Put your flesh in check. Gets me sick to my stomach. Bunch of boys running around. Sorry. 
Put your flesh in check. Does God empower you to put your flesh in check? Does he give you everything you need to make your flesh submit to the will of God? I'm not saying it's not a challenge for some of you, but you can do it with God. He wants to do it. He'll empower you to do it. Don't let your flesh lead you. Open doors. Be kind. Protect women. Be a gentleman. So purity, honesty, be truth tellers. And I mean to the nth degree to be a man. Stop exaggerating. Stop boasting. Truth tellers. Self-discipline. We won't get any of these things without self-discipline. You have to live a disciplined life. You have to be in the Word. You have to be in prayer. You have to be active in all these things to become what you want to become in God. Another thing is excellence. I, I don't see anything that God does that is not excellent. And sometimes we're tempted to do the bare minimum. Be, be a man of excellence. Do, do your best all the time. Give it your best effort. Seek excellence. Integrity. And, and lastly is perseverance. Um, I, I can just tell you, settle in. It's a long race. Because you're fighting it. You naturally want to be passive. Now you're trying to be active. You're trying to take responsibility. You're trying to lead courageously. You're trying to seek the greater rewards. You've got a will to, to obey. You've got a work to do. You gotta, that's a lot on the list. And it's a long race. Pace yourself. And by the way, you're going to fail. You're going to fail in every one of these. That's okay. Get up and go again. Just like Ralph said in the announcements. Brush off. Just keep going to become that man of God that he wants you to be. Happy Father's Day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the calling on men and women, this unique calling that you've given each of us. What a beautiful creation that you've put, that we need each other. And I do cry out for these men here. I know many, many here struggle. They've come from terrible families. And uh, none of us have had a perfect father except you. And so, Father, help us to become the men of God you want us to be. May it be a difference in, in all the environments we're in as we stand tall for Jesus, that we avoid passivity, assume responsibility, lead courageously, and seek the greater reward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.